Good morning, New Morning Life family, and all those that are visiting and watching. I'm so glad to be with you on this Sunday morning and excited to bring you another word from the Lord. Last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he triumphed over the grave. And this Sunday, we are going to examine some of the ways our Lord and Savior came back and visited his friends, his disciples, and still continued the ministry of the gospel by showing not only did he resurrect, but also he came back to see people that are nearest and dear to him. Brothers and sisters, this is a great Sunday because we have another great word from the Lord. And I'm excited to bring you this word coming from Luke chapter 24. And I'll be reading verses 13 through 24. I'm reading a little bit more this time than I normally do. However, I hope you don't mind me reading the Bible on church on Sunday. Amen. We're going to just read a little bit, just read a little bit of the word. And as you know, in true New Morning Life fashion, and for those of you all that are visiting, sometimes I'll read some things and I'll repeat some things and I'll have you say a few things. So in order to keep our reading interactive and to keep our attention span strong on the word, I'm going to read this text and I ask you to say some things from the text out loud. Amen. Here we go, brothers and sisters. This text today is known as the road to Emmaus. Somebody say Emmaus. Brothers and sisters, the text says, starting at verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Somebody say Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they, did, they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself near came near and began to walk along with them. Somebody say Jesus himself. Somebody say walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Somebody say recognize him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you all are having with each other as you all are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Mm, somebody say discouraged. The one named Cleophas answered him. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech. Therefore, before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to be the one who was about to redeem Israel. Let me say that one more time. They said, but we were hoping that he was to be the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb and they went and when they went, they didn't find his body. They came and they reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went into the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Brothers and sisters. This is an interesting text coming 
right after Resurrection Sunday because this is the first time Jesus reveals himself according to the Gospel of Luke to anyone, right? And this makes me or puts me in mind of how although Jesus revealed himself to these two men, they still couldn't see him. This puts me in mind of how I've had moments in my life where I'm so focused on achieving a goal or my mind is so clouded with emotion that I find myself looking for something I already have. Brothers and sisters, I want to highlight a specific verse from all that I've read. I know that was a lot that I've read and I don't want us to get lost in it. One of the specific verses or our highlighted verse or our memory verse, I should say, for our text today and all of that is when the text says at verse 15. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Let me read that again. Make sure we get it. Our memory verses, verse 15 and 16, it says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And brothers and sisters, this puts me in mind of some experiences that I've had. Experiences where I'm so overloaded with things going on in the week. I'm trying to rush to get to work or to get to the church. I'm trying. My mind is here and there and all over the place that I find myself looking for something that I already have. I don't know if any of you all have ever done this. This just may be me, but sometimes I find myself looking for my car keys. And, you know, you can't go anywhere without your car keys. And I'll find myself tearing up the house trying to find these car keys and then. As I just am about to give up because I, I can't figure out or remember where I put them, I pat my pocket, and sometimes it's not in my back pocket or my front pocket. It might be in my shirt pocket that's on my chest, and I realize I've had the keys with me the entire time. I know that may not happen to some of you all. Sometimes I even have the situation. If I'm talking on a headset or with my cell phone, and I'm about to leave or go somewhere, I'll be talking to someone on the phone. And because the conversation is so good or I'm so distracted, I'll find myself looking for the very phone that I'm talking on. I, I, don't, I know that might just be me, but sometimes I find myself looking for the very things that I already have. Brothers and sisters, sometimes when this happens, I realize I've lost about five to ten minutes. Sometimes I, I've realized it's been so much time that I've taken looking for something that I already have. It's almost as though a blindfold comes off of my eyes when I come to the realization that the very thing that I've been looking for has been with me the entire time I've been searching my belongings for them. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing how strong emotion, how expectation and tunnel vision can distract us from the obvious. You see, brothers and sisters, this brings me to the question, what are some of your distractions? What are some of the distractions that stop you from seeing God at work in your life? You see, brothers and sisters, regardless of how you feel, what you expect or your disappointments, you've experienced God working in the past 
God working right now and you will still see God working in the future. The thing about it is, are you attentive enough to pay attention to it? You see, brothers and sisters, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8 says, but blessed is the one who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that seeds that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, the prophet Jeremiah reminds us through the example of a tree that the roots are what consistently keeps the tree through distractions such as fear, such as heat, such as worry and such as drought. Brothers and sisters, the deeper the roots, the stronger the tree is in fighting opposition. Although you can't see the roots, they are always there. You see, the roots have sustained the tree in the past. It's the, the roots are sustaining the tree right now and the roots will continue to sustain the tree in the future. You see, despite the distractions of the elements and being hidden because of the dirt, the roots are always there. And brothers and sisters, sometimes the thing that distracts us from seeing the presence of God are the elements, are the pressures that are around us, and they stop us from being able to see God at work. But brothers and sisters, we have to be rooted in the scripture. We have to be rooted in our faith, and we have to make sure our faith is strong, just like the roots of the tree, to keep us sturdy and to keep us up and to hold us up, no matter what opposition comes our way. You see, Luke chapter 24 shows us that these men traveling to the road or on the road to Emmaus are distracted because they are discouraged and are kept from seeing Jesus. Although they were kept from seeing Jesus, brothers and sisters, the gospel good news of the text, because as you all know, as I always say, a gospel means good news. The gospel good news here in the text is that although they were kept from seeing Jesus, Jesus was still there. Let me say that again, just in case you all missed it. I said, although they were kept from seeing Jesus because they were discouraged, because they were arguing back and forth about the events that had taken place to Jesus, Jesus was still there. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be like these two travelers on the road to Emmaus. Sometimes we can't see Jesus because the wind of fear blows too hard or the heat and pressure of frustration causes us to sweat or the rains of worry floods our reality or the drought of hope leaves us feeling empty and alone. We must call on God who isn't seen to keep us rooted in times of the storm. Brothers and sisters, although we can't necessarily see God with the eye in a tangible sense like they, like these two men were able to see Jesus, brothers and sisters, you best believe your Lord and Savior is still at work. It's the same Lord and Savior that has kept you in the past, that's keeping you right now and will keep you in the future. Brothers and sisters, God is at work and God is sustaining you. These two men on the road to Emmaus have shallow roots. 
because they are distracted by the perceived absence of Jesus. You see, they couldn't see Jesus because they were distracted by discouragement. They were discouraged because their hopes and dreams died on the cross. You see, you can see in, in the text when it says we hoped he would be the one that would redeem Israel. They were discouraged. They were frustrated because Jesus didn't do the things that they thought that Jesus would do. Jesus didn't redeem them the way that they thought that Jesus should redeem them. And brothers and sisters, if you take nothing else from this message, I want you to remember you will always overlook God looking for God to follow your agenda. I said you will always overlook God looking for God to follow your agenda. This is because we can get so caught up on how things should have gone. We can get so caught up on how things should have followed the plan we had that sometimes we misconstrue the vision that God has for us. And then the reality turns into a situation where we're frustrated or we're like these two men, discouraged. Because we don't see how it's going to turn out. We don't understand God's plan. And now we're at the mercy of God's plan because we've had to forfeit our plan. Somebody remembers that sermon, but brothers and sisters, to give you a little background, the book of Luke is one of the four gospels of the New Testament. And as I said earlier, gospel means good news. Brothers and sisters, the story of Jesus is told in the gospel of Luke by a physician, and I'm going to call him for the sake of this sermon, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is the physician that's telling the story of Jesus Christ in this gospel. And Luke's gospel focuses on Jesus as the fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel. You see, Luke is focusing just on one thing. He's not only focusing on the things that the Israelites hold value to, but he's focusing on the things that God places value on. And he's trying to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant and the fulfillment of God's plan starting from the Old Testament and being revealed in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, or I should say Luke, has an agenda. And he's trying to illustrate this in his narrative of the gospel. So we're here in the text. And we find these two men on the road to Emmaus. And while they're on the road to Emmaus, they're discussing the sequence of events that have just taken place as far as Jesus being crucified on the cross. These two men that are on the road to Emmaus, the, the text says they're arguing. The text says that they're going back and forth with one another, probably talking about or saying, what are we going to do now that our Savior is dead? We had all our hopes and dreams on that cross. We believed that he was the Messiah. We thought that he would change things for us. What are we going to do? And they're so cumbered with the load of care, brothers and sisters, that they don't even realize the one that they're talking about has arrived on the scene with them. And brothers and sisters, Jesus shows up. And in true Jesus fashion, he shows up and he asks them, what they are talking about. 
And the text says he walks with them and talks with them and listens to what they have to say. And brothers and sisters, the good thing about this is that Jesus takes his time to walk with them and talk with them and listen to what they have to say. Brothers and sisters, these men are discouraged. These men are distracted. These men are upset. And the text tells us Jesus is with them, but they can't see him. And brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you the questions. How many times has Jesus been with you? How many times have God or has God been with you on the journey and you've been so caught up on what's going on around you that you couldn't even see his mercy and his grace? Brothers and sisters, there are so many times in our lives that we overlook God. So many times in our lives that we're not focused on God because we're so busy focusing on the distractions of the world. We can be so weighed down by opposition, we are distracted from seeing God's grace. Brothers and sisters, the word distraction, you know I like to define our words. Distraction is defined as agitation of the mind or emotion. The redirection of emotion or attention caused by an opposing force. Brothers and sisters, the distractions of the world can distract us from obvious things, even outside of biblical proportion. Brothers and sisters, distractions can keep us from seeing the very things that could harm us in our personal lives. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you, you see, sometimes we can be distracted by emotions that will do anything to have friends. Uh-oh. Here we go. Some people will allow themselves to be used just to fit in with people just so they can have friends. Some people will know that they're being used but are willing to just sacrifice that feeling of being used or whatever resources they have. They're, they're willing to, to, to just give them all up because they just want to have friends. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be distracted by loneliness. Loneliness is a big distractor because what it does is force us to be faced with the reality of being with ourselves or compromising the comfort of being with ourselves through being with bringing somebody else into our space in order to feel some aspect of companionship. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be so distracted from the need to be with somebody for the need of companionship, running from loneliness that will take any and everybody just to not be alone. Brothers and sisters, this is a distraction from the obvious. Sometimes you can see that this person is not right for you. Sometimes you can know this person is not right for you. Sometimes you can feel the fact through their verbal abuse, through their physical abuse, that they have no invested interest in you. But just because you don't want to be alone, you'll do all you can. You'll sacrifice self-worth. Just to be with them. Brothers and sisters, these are distractions. Some people will be distracted by pleasure. 
Meaning just to feel good, just to feel something that feels better than the pain they felt for so long. They'll do any and everything to feel pleasure. They, they, they will sacrifice relationships with friends. They will sacrifice family bonds just for pleasures. Pleasures turn to addictions. Pleasures turn into vices that it's hard to get out of. Brothers and sisters, pleasures can be distractions. And another subtle distraction is worry. And brothers and sisters, we can find ourselves just like these other distractions getting caught up on this concept called worry to the point of which we won't even see how a situation is going to work out because we're factoring all of the negative components. We're factoring how everything can go wrong and we can't even see how God's grace and how God's glory has kept us up to this point so therefore, it should take us on through to the next point. But sometimes we can get so caught up on worry that we lose sight that God is still working. I used to have a high school janitor that used to say, if you're going to worry, don't pray. And if you're going to pray, don't worry. Because worrying and prayer can occupy the same space, brothers and sisters, unless you're bringing that worry to God so that he can deal with it. Brothers and sisters, worry puts doubt in our spirit and puts fear in our heart. And these are distractions. These distractions cloud our vision. These distractions distort our reality to the point we can't see the obvious certainty that God is with us. You see, brothers and sisters, the presence of opposition does not validate the absence of God. You see, I said the presence of opposition does not validate the, abs the absence of God. In actuality, when times start getting hard, that's when you should realize God must be showing up. Because brothers and sisters, when you pray hard, when you ask God to do something in your life, when you ask God to turn your life around, that means you're inviting chaos into your life because God is about to shake some things up. God is about to move some things around. God is about to get you to a point of peace. But before he can get you to perfect peace, he has to take you through the storm. And brothers and sisters, if everything was always sunshine and rainbows if everything was always peaceful you would never know how much you could rely on God in the midst of the storm and brothers and sisters it's these distractions that keep us from being in right relationship with God in reality God has always been with us but sometimes we are too distracted to notice he's there you see, our distractions are the enemy of our interaction with God. Don't let a distraction keep you from remembering what God has done for you. Don't let a distraction keep you from seeing God is with you. Distractions are the enemy of our interaction with God. Brothers and sisters, you can remember I've talked about this extensively in the military, I've learned about the three enemies. And the three enemies are, for one, the enemy of the environment, right? The environment itself through the elements, whether you're in a cold climate, a hot climate, or a rough terrain type of climate, that's an enemy. Then you have the enemy of the mind, right? 
That, 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 that's yourself. You, you, you yourself can be an enemy when your, your, your mind attacks you based off the reality and things that you're going through. You're, you can be an enemy. Your physical body can start breaking down. That can be an enemy in itself. Then you have the real enemy. Which is the opposing force that's coming against you. And brothers and sisters, we find ourselves oftentimes attacked by the enemy of self. And the enemy of self will whisper in your mind negativity that will influence you to think that God isn't with you. That God isn't still capable. That God isn't still working through the chaos. That God isn't still sustaining you. The enemy of the mind can try and distract you, brothers and sisters. I learned in a workshop while in military training, there are so many exercises in which we can do to try to retrain our mind to see the positive things instead of the negative things. This exercise was called finding the good in a situation. This is something that they try to teach basic trainees as they come into a hostile environment or as they go through all the rough rigor of the training to find the good in a situation because, because sometimes as you compile the negative on top of each other, the, the negative thoughts in your mind can weigh you down to the point of which you don't even want to move. You don't even want to continue forward. So they teach you how to find the good. And brothers and sisters, you can do this exercise on your own and you can take a negative situation and try to find the positive things that, that come out of it and it can turn into a really positive and funny exercise. Brothers and sisters, when they taught us this exercise, we would go around the room and look at all the negative things that we were experiencing in class. One of the main things that we experienced was the fact that a lot of these classes would be three to and four hours long. Well, we'd be sitting in lectures and we'd be watching videos and somebody would say, find the good. And brothers and sisters, the good thing is that somebody would say, well, at least I'm not on my actual job. At least I'm sitting here and I'm able to get some rest. Somebody would say, find the good. And even though we were bored, at least we had a lot of snacks that we could eat because we had all, so or all sorts of, of, of military snacks that we could munch on. They would say, find the good. And they would say, well... At least I don't have to be at home with my wife nagging or my kids running around and yelling. They would, all kind of jokes would arise from this. But brothers and sisters, finding the good will at least allow you to turn a negative situation into a positive situation. And brothers and sisters, I want to transform that exercise from finding the good to finding the grace. And brothers and sisters, you can take moments in your life that you're frustrated with or you're angry with or moments that you feel like God should have shown up and showed out the way he's done in someone else's life. And you can take the time and find the grace. Brothers and sisters, I remember when my grandmother passed. That was a very difficult time for my mother and I because we had spent a lot of time caring for her, a lot of time cooking for her, a lot of time preparing things for her, cleaning her, taking her to and from different places. And brothers and sisters, it's easy as a caregiver. Some of you all know this firsthand. You can begin to compile negative thoughts upon negative thoughts to the point of which you can get discouraged and feel weighed down. 
Brothers and sisters, sometimes we will find ourselves thinking, Lord, why don't you just heal my grandmother? Lord, why don't you just get us a doctor that can help us find a remedy for some of the things that she's dealing with? Lord, there's so many other people that are her same age that are able to walk around or that are able to think clearly whose mind isn't falling or, or whose mind isn't demented by dementia. Brothers and sisters, we at one point in time were thinking about all of the negative things. And brothers and sisters, when we took time to find the grace, what we were able to do is say, although she's not here, although we would have liked her to still be here, at least she doesn't have to feel pain anymore. Although we would have loved to see her smiling face one more time, at least we no longer have to see her face grimace with pain as she tries to stand up or grimace with pain every time she tries to remember something that she's forgotten. Brothers and sisters, we begin to flip negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And brothers and sisters, you can find the grace in any one of your situation by turning around negative thoughts and looking at how God has brought you through every situation that you face. Because as long as you're standing and as long as you have breath in your lungs, you're still living. And as long as you're still living, you have something to be thankful for. Brothers and sisters, you can find the grace and you can combat being discouraged. You see, verse 16 in the text tells us that these two men were having a dispute. Verse 16 says that Jesus came to them and said, what is the dispute you are having with each other as you're walking? And the interesting thing about discouragement, the text says they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Some translations say sad, but I, I, I want you to see how powerful discouragement is, brothers and sisters. They were walking with Jesus, but the discouragement was so powerful that they stopped walking and looked discouraged. That means discouragement is so powerful, it can stop you in your tracks. It can stop you from being on the proper journey. It can stop you to the point of which your whole reality can be misconstrued by the false perception of whatever you've allowed to become real in your mind. And brothers and sisters, oftentimes our mind is so powerful that we'll be thinking about things that haven't even come to pass yet. And brothers and sisters, discouragement is an attack of the enemy that fights against the grace of God and fights against you realizing that God was with you is with you and will continue to be with you. Brothers and sisters, discouragement is a powerful tool. You see, brothers and sisters, discouragement is even evident in the animal kingdom. Oh, pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you, I really like animals and I like watching different um, episodes of things on the animal planet. And learning about things in the animal kingdom. And one thing that I thought was very interesting. Is that although a lion is known as the king of the jungle. A lion can be killed by a group of hyenas. Right? And, and, and if one lion 
get surrounded by a large group of hyenas, a lion who is king of the jungle knows that the odds against him are so great that he'll be discouraged to the point that he won't even fight back with the same strength he normally would if he was fighting possibly one hyena. Brothers and sisters, it takes at least two lions to fight off a full pack of hyenas. And brothers and sisters, hyenas know this, so whenever they see lions, if they ever find one by themselves, they'll create a sort of battle formation and circle the lion to cut him off from the other lions so that the lion, who's king of the jungle, will get discouraged to the point of which it won't be able to fight back and it will be overpowered by his lesser prey. And brothers and sisters, that's so powerful that even a lion, that's a powerful beast that can take down the cake buffalo, that'll take down an elephant, that'll take down a giraffe that is pretty much the king the, 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 on the top and, and is the one that is the strongest predator out in the, um, what do you call those places, in, 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 in the Sahara or in, in, in the landscape, brothers and sisters, this lion can find itself discouraged to the point that it can be defeated. And what's ironic is that same lion can fight a bigger opponent who technically should be stronger than the lion through the same fear of that creature becoming discouraged. Brothers and sisters, discouragement is so powerful that it can bring powerful opponents down to the point of weaknesses. Of weakness. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have to combat discouragement and not let it feel our spirit, not let it take us down, not let it overcome us because discouragement is the enemy of seeing how God is working in your life. Discouragement, it is defined as the despair of unfulfilled hopes or expectation, but it also is defined as lost confidence or enthusiasm. What's interesting about the word discouragement is that if you take this off of discouragement, it's the word courage. And that short word, this, means away. And the origin of the word courage means spirit. So brothers and sisters, when we put the word discouraged together, that means that you've done away with a positive spirit. But when you have courage, that means you've, you, you're, you're holding on to your spirit. And, and brothers and sisters, discourage or discouragement is the doing away with of that positive spirit. So therefore, brothers and, sirs, brothers and sisters, discouragement is one of the biggest enemies of God because it challenges faith, belief, and it places what you think should happen or it places your frustration over what God can do. And brothers and sisters, we must never be discouraged serving a God like we serve. Discouragement is something that keeps us from being in right relationship with God. We see in the text where these two men were discouraged. And it says, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And because their hopes and dreams were crucified and they felt like it had died on that cross, they were discouraged. And brothers and sisters, 
God commands us to never be discouraged. That's how much God dislikes the word discouraged or the spirit of being discouraged. We, we, we see the Israelites were discouraged in Numbers 13 and 14. You know what happened back then. In Numbers 13 and 14, Moses sent the spies into the promised land. And when the spies came back and gave the report, the spies talked about how big the cities were and how big the people were, said that they were descendants from the Nephilim, which are the giants, talked about how big the grapes were and how big the food and the plant life was. And brothers and sisters, they said, although this is the man, the land of milk and honey, although this is the promised land, we're afraid. Because our opponents are bigger than us. And brothers and sisters, they were discouraged. And in Numbers chapter 14, it tells us that they were so discouraged that they wanted to vote Moses out of being their leader and return back to slavery. And brothers and sisters, what that teaches us about discouragement is that it can cripple us to the point that we'd rather be in bondage by fear, in bondage by an oppressor, than walk into God's promises because it's too intimidating. And brothers and sisters, what we must hold on to, what we must, what we must reason with is, as believers is that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, never wants us to be discouraged, but always wants us to be encouraged. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what Moses is telling Joshua. Moses tells Joshua that in Deuteronomy. But then God tells Joshua this in Joshua 1.6 and also in Joshua 1.9. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people into inherit the land I swore to their ancestors and give to them. And brothers and sisters, he said that in verse 6. But he comes back in verse 9 and says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And brothers and sisters, God commands us to be encouraged and not discouraged. He says, as long as you're going to believe in him, we don't have room for discouragement. Because discouragement means that there's a lack of faith. Discouragement means there's a lack of belief. Discouragement is an enemy of God. It is the tactic of the enemy to cause us to lose faith. Discouragement is so repulsive to God that his first order of business after he resurrects from the grave is to deal with these two men's discouragement. I think I might need to say that again because I, 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 brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't want y'all to miss that. Jesus is crucified, put in the tomb. He sits there, resurrects after that second day where he sit, sat in this tomb for a full 24 hours. Resurrects on the third day. And the first thing he does when he comes back is deal with discouragement. And that goes to show you how discouragement has no place in the heart and mind of the believer. Brothers and sisters, 
That was our problem. But our solution to the problem of being discouraged is that when we are distracted from God by the enemy's tactic of discouragement, we should be reminded that we serve a God that is always, has always, and will always be with us. Brothers and sisters, verse 15 of chapter 24 of Luke says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and walked with them. See, this is when in the Bible, you, it's good to have a physical Bible so you can highlight, you can circle. You see, the reason why I gave the backdrop of who Luke is, because Dr. Luke realized the severity of what Jesus did. It's, it, it, it's these subtle nuances here that you might miss if you're just skimming through the text. Brothers and sisters, it says, Jesus himself came near and walked with him. Luke is placing emphasis on the fact that although they're discouraged, although they're discussing the sequence of events that have taken place, Jesus didn't leave them there in there. Jesus himself, Jesus didn't send an angel. Jesus didn't send his friend. Jesus didn't have their mother or father comfort them. Jesus didn't allow them to use substances to get over his death. Jesus himself came and walked with them and talked with them. Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus teaching in an indirect way. Jesus does three things that we can learn from. Jesus comes near, he walks with them, and he listens to them. Let me say that again. That's, that's, note, that's noteworthy. Jesus does th three things. He comes near to them. He walks with them and listens to them. And the reason why that's so important is because sometimes when we know people need us, instead of us taking the time to draw near and be there for them, we rather just leave them in their sorrow and say, that's not our problem. That's their problem. Or that's not our problem. That's somebody else's problem. I learned in one of my classes in my training called Speed of Trust, that in relationships, you know, we have a lot of, in chaplaincy school, we have a lot of marriage counseling and relationship counseling trainings, that the way significant others gain trust indirectly is through noticing that their partner is struggling with something and instead of acting like they don't see it, or acting like, well, they'll get over it. Or leaving them in that place of sorrow. They go and listen and tend to their needs and hear them out. Instead of allowing them to wallow in their sadness by themselves. Brothers and sisters, they talked about in this class called Speed of Trust. That you gain trust with family, with friends, and with significant others. Just by taking the time to draw near. Spend time with them and listen to what they have going on, what they have going on. Brothers and sisters, this is important to us because this teaches us how to give care. And this also teaches us how to receive care. That sometimes we don't always need answers. Sometimes we don't always need people talking. Sometimes the ministry of presence 
and silence goes farther than any words you can speak. And brothers and sisters, sometimes all you have to do is draw near. Just walk with somebody. Just sit with somebody and listen to what they're going through. Brothers and sisters, this can be the make or break of a friendship. This can solidify some relationship. This can mend some things that you're dealing with if you just took time to draw near and listen. The ironic part about this is that this contrasts the relationship the two men were already having on the road to Emmaus. They were already speaking to each other, so you would think that one of them should have been listening. But brothers and sisters, my translation says they were arguing with each other. And because they were arguing with each other, that means they weren't listening to each other. But what Jesus does and cut is come in and teach. He comes in and he asks them questions he already knows the answer to. He asks them, well, what's taking place? Then they get smart with him because they've just gotten done arguing with one another. They're like, are you the only one here that doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem? You haven't heard about Jesus of Nazareth being crucified? <laughs> and of course he's heard about it because it's him that has been crucified. But brothers and sisters, he knows the importance of giving someone the space to express their feelings. And brothers and sisters, oftentimes what distracts us is the fact that we're not fully dealing with the issues that we're hiding under the surface of our reality. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus shows us is sometimes you have to face those issues. Sometimes you have to come to terms with those issues. Sometimes you have to acknowledge those issues. And the best way to acknowledge it is just by talking about it to someone. And Jesus shows up in this moment of discouragement with these two men on the road to Emmaus and allows them to talk about their grief. The grief of having lost someone and the grief of unfulfilled expectations. And he listens to them and shares the burden with them. Brothers and sisters, that's why it's good to have friends. That's why it's good to have somebody you can talk to. Reverend Eugene would say friendship is essential to the soul. Paul would say carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Luke 10 tells us Jesus appointed 72 disciples and sent them out two by two and said the harvest is abundant but the laborers are few. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knew that through sending people out two by two, you would at least have somebody that could share your burden so you wouldn't have to be alone. Brothers and sisters, as I close, I want to share with you the importance of just having somebody to listen to or be there with you. Around this time last year, you all can remember, I was in training in chaplaincy school over at Fort Jackson. And one thing that brought a lot of people anxiety during this training was the physical fitness test. You know, I always bring up this physical fitness test, but that's where most of the sermons come from. And brothers and sisters, it's on this physical fitness test, which tests your ability 
to run two miles in a certain amount of time, do a certain amount of push-ups and do a certain amount of sit-ups that brings people anxiety. Sometimes people become so anxious, they have panic attacks before the test. Brothers and sisters, these physical fitness tests really show who's been training and who's in their best physical um, ability or who's in the best possible physical shape. And what's interesting about this, everybody at some point in time needs what is called a spotter. And brothers and sisters, what this spotter does is keep you motivated in the midst of the test. Brothers and sisters, when I was going through training, I had a spotter and sometimes I needed a spotter while running or going through the obstacle course. And there were times when I was somebody else's spotter because there are moments that people would get so discouraged that they would get distracted from the very reason that they were there. They would get so distracted that they would almost want to quit and leave behind all their hopes and dreams. But the spotter not only helped with assisting the load of working out, but also helped through encouragement. Brothers and sisters, I was faced with running this obstacle course that was um, about a mile and a half long. And on this obstacle course, you had to run a long ways. You had to climb up a wall. You had to do a uh, swing on the monkey bars. You had to run in these underground tunnels. And then you had to army crawl under the barbed wire on your front. And then army crawl across the barbed wire on your back. Then you had to jump through the mud holes and jump over the logs and, and go through all of these different obstacles. And they said, each one of you are able to have one spotter with you, one person that can come with you while you go through this obstacle course. They're not being assessed, but you are. So I got my spotter, brothers and sisters. And while I'm overcoming every obstacle on this obstacle test course, I'm starting off well. But as I get halfway to the end of the course, now I'm getting discouraged. Now I'm getting tired. Now I want to give up. And I had to yell out encouragement encouragement and my spotter would say you could do it my spotter would say keep running my spotter would get in front of me and run and be a focal point or something that I could focus on and brothers and sisters sometimes we all need spotters to give us encouragement when we get distracted from discouragement and brothers and sisters I'm glad to let you know that we serve a risen savior that's our spotter that will walk with us on a road, whether it's to Emmaus or whether it's down the street, whether you're going down the road of heartbreak or you're going down the road of financial instability or you're going down the road of fake friends or you're going down the road of all of the sickness and hardship you're dealing with with your failing body. We have spotters that we can just reach out to and ask for encouragement and our Lord and Savior will be there to help ease the weight. And brothers and sisters, I just want to leave you with the question that although Jesus is the one on the road to Emmaus with these two men that are discouraged, can you be the one that our Lord and Savior uses as an example of his will and his grace and his presence by being somebody's spotter and giving them encouragement in the midst of discouragement. Can you be somebody else's encourager? Can you be somebody that helps someone from being so distracted to the point that they want to give up? Can you be that person in somebody else's life? And for those that don't have a problem encouraging, 
Can you be the person that allows yourself to be encouraged by others? See, the ironic thing about this is sometimes we don't have an issue encouraging others. But sometimes we have the issue of being vulnerable enough to receive encouragement ourselves. And brothers and sisters, through the remainder of this week, I want you to do a couple things. I want you to find the grace every time you get discouraged. And I want you to constantly ask yourself, can you be in whatever moment you face an encourager for somebody else? And when things get too heavy and too weighed down and frustrating for you, can you allow someone to minister and encourage you in your life? Brothers and sisters, I remember when I was in Sunday school, we used to sing a song, and I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to say it. And it's a song that would encourage us when we would be discouraged. We were taught this song so that we could say it whenever things were difficult in our lives. And we would typically learn this song around the resurrection holiday. And the song says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I heard, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Brothers and sisters, at this time, if you're looking for a church home or if something that was said encourages today, take the time to reevaluate your relationship with God and look at the fact that God didn't just show up today, didn't take time off the day to show up tomorrow. But God was with you yesterday, is with you today, and will be with you tomorrow. We serve a God that's all powerful and that's all knowing. That's Alpha and Omega, knows our beginning from our end. And you just have to make the choice to serve him and trust him and be encouraged, be strong and very courageous and not let the enemy destroy you through discouragement. So if you do not have a relationship with God and you want to have one, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And through doing that, you have to make the continual and intentional steps of living a righteous life according to the will of our Father. That's not your will. That's His will. And you'll realize that the more you try to get your life in alignment with his will, things of the world won't discourage you the way they used to. So brothers and sisters, I pray this message encourages you. And I pray that it's food for thought for this week. May God bless you and keep you. Keep the faith and keep looking up.